and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 218, Forever Cursed by Technology and Anything Else That's Going On. I'm your host, Mike Apps, AK Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, master of Navi Battling, David Gurney, Family Master. So I'm uh, look, looking around, making sure nothing is crashing, there's no frame drops, nothing's dying. Uh, looks like it's moving just fine on the RP game screen. Okay, good, 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 good. So what's going on? Uh, not over much. Uh, I don't remember if there was any. Oh wait, there's news I care about. This. I don't know if there's news you care about. Was there any no news? Super Robot Wars Thirty, getting. An official release on an official English, like, North American platform. What's a robot? Get out. <laughs> Get out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was surprised to see that. Yeah, I spent a while trying to determine what confluence of licensing had allowed this to happen. Because I was, like, trying to determine how many, like, sub-license holders they might have had to clear this with. And I, I'm still wondering if some sort of chicanery hasn't occurred because they've announced the Steam release of Super Robot Wars 30 in the U.S., but not a uh, eShop or PSN release, despite it definitely coming out on PS4 and Switch in every other territory. So there might be some sort of chicanery still going on. Uh, I don't know, but they did officially acknowledge that this was not some sort of error, uh, listing in error. Well, that's uh, good. That's this good. would be the the single first the first time that a licensed Super Robot Wars game has been released in officially in North America. Wow. Uh, after about thirty years of Super Robot Wars games. That's a pretty big deal, then. Yeah, this is a weird... Uh, it's a weird one. Uh, just just uh, in terms of... like, it's it's a, Evidently, it's a... They're celebrating the fact that it's a 30th anniversary game, kind of. Uh, I'm still really just hoping that we get and eShop release, because that is where I am much more likely to actually play and finish it. That would be nice. Uh, but they're making some updates to it, uh, notably uh, updates to the gameplay. Uh, I'm seeing more of your... Okay, briefly, self Um But uh, there's like... You have a choice of what order to do certain missions in, which is not something that has... Hmm. Uh, like, it's it's happened before, but, like, it's been a very long time since they've done it in the mainline game. Uh, I think the last time would have been Super Robot Wars MX. That's the most... Re would be the most recent one that had this feature, uh, which is a game that... Uh, came out in 2004. Hmm. So, yeah. Long, long time ago. Uh, I think MX is after Impact. There's 
there's a lot of these, and their names are not actually very good at describing when they happened. Uh, and of course, Wikipedia's information is spotty at best. Yeah, Impact is the first PS2 game, probably like 2002. That's also a remake of a bunch of Wonderswan games. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, um, so that's that's happening. Uh, the list of series in it is very interesting to me, and I think if I read them off to you, you would like get confused and blaze over, so I won't. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, for, for like the... Uh, for, for the amount of people that care about robot anime, there's some very strange things here, like... Uh, I admit that I did not ever expect to see Gaokai Gar versus Batman in a Super Robot Wars game. <laughs> Which is... Yeah, go, go ahead and try to parse that one, nerd. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so that that's very cool. Uh, I hope it's a good one. Uh, the last couple have been very good. Uh, they've been on a good streak, so... Uh, I have high hopes for this one. Good. And uh, it it has some stuff in it that is interesting, just because uh, just because like the of odd aspects of licensing. Hmm. But hey, this one has Ray Earth in it again, so that's fun. Well, that definitely makes me interested in. Yeah. Uh, I think the series, the most recent new series they've added that I care about is SSSS Gridman. I have no Which... earthly idea what that is. So, Gridman itself, the original one was an old Tokusatsu series uh, that actually did get released in the well, quote unquote, released bastardized in the U.S. Uh, in the same manner that Power Rangers was. Hmm. Uh, the the old uh, one was uh, Denki Chojin Gridman, which is just like... Variously, you could describe that a few ways, but it's basically like Lightning Superhero or Superman Gridman. <laughs> uh, and it was released in the during the Power Rangers, like, let's just do bizarre shit to tokusatsu uh, era as uh, I believe superhuman samurai which uh, amusingly like SSSS Gridman I've not I like I've watched some of Gridman I was mostly I was like that was my like fake Power Rangers of choice as a child with Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, of course, aside from actually watching original But, uh, yeah, I watched some of Gridman and fell off in part because uh, I was watching with friends and we couldn't uh, get together on time to watch, which meant all of us felt bad about competing with the others. But, yeah, it doesn't matter. Point is, uh, the thing that always amused me was that they chose to call it SSSS Gridman, and I'm sure SSSS ended up standing for something else, but I can't help but think that it was also partly chosen, because that's what Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad officially abbreviated as. 
would be a very funny thing to do, given how little that sense that would have made to anyone who uh, had watched the series in Japan where that set of letters means nothing. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, Gridman. That was, that was a cool show. That was uh, fun. And they have also done another time thing where they uh, essentially uh, asked Gonagai to make up a new uh, version of Mazinger just for uh, Super Robot Wars, something he ends up doing like once every five to ten years. <laughs> uh, because there was a... The Mazinger Z that appears in this is based off of a CG live-action... Live-action, or was it just entirely CG? It's been for... I haven't actually seen Mazinger Z Infinity. Basically, uh... They, they did a reboot slash sequel to Mazinger Z called Mazinger Z Infinity a few years ago. Uh, let's see. Uh, it seems to mostly be CG. We'll just call it CG. Uh, but yeah, they, they did a, a Mazinger CG film years back called Mazinger Z Infinity and they were like well there's no version of Mazin Kaiser for Mazinger Z Infinity so they asked him to make one and he uh like it's seemingly at least in part for like toy sales because officially the claim is based off of a toy no one uh that was seemingly not announced until very recently so it seems like it was mostly made as a combination for the toy game but uh it has the absolutely beautifully ridiculous name of Mazen Kaiser Infinitism. Excuse me? Yeah, Mazen Kaiser Infinitism. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you get, to, you get to live with that knowledge. Isn't your life cheapened by that in some fashion? Yes. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and as a last, like, oh, it's fun to see this uh, series. Mobile uh, Suit we'll Victory Gundam. Which... Uh, how to explain why this is interesting? Uh, so Gundam has a number of alternate universes, but the original universe extends out pretty far. It, it, like the the universe's first series took place and is easily the one that has the most information about its timeline and that timeline extends out much further and for a very long time uh victory gundam was the furthest in that time there are some very strange fringe things that are after victory gundam notably uh a horrendous live action film co-production between Japan and I believe Canada called G-Savior but no one, even even hardcore Gundam fans don't want to acknowledge G-Savior um, but to put it simply uh, Victory Gundam was the furthest in the timeline that people felt uncomfortable ignoring because it was made by the original Gundam creator but no one wants to talk about it because it's after everyone from the original series is dead. Hmm. And the series itself is incredibly weird. 
and made by a man who was deeply depressed at the time and is deeply reflected in the content of that series. So, uh, see, Victory Gundam shows up in Super Robot every so often, but it's a much, much rarer occurrence than seeing, like, Zeta Gundam, Double Zeta Gundam, Char's Counterattack, over and over and over. So, yeah, that, that just felt, like, worthy of acknowledgement because Victory Gundam does not show up that <laughs> I think I could look up the amount of times it's shown up, and it would be less than half the time that the rest of them show up. Let me check that actually. There are fan sites with helpful lists of what all games individual series appear in. Thanks, fan sites. Yay. Uh, but yeah, what have you been up to, Wheels? Um. See, since last episode, I started up Monster Hunter Stories 2, uh, which so far has been a nice expansion of the original. Uh, largely plays pretty closely to the original, but with, you know, newer features, better graphics. Uh, plus, you get a, another party member who has their own monster. Uh, but it still keeps kind of the same sort of battle system where a lot of the times... You're kind of just picking which type of attack, and that's it. And all your other party members are all set. Which mm. uh, I'm sure will irk people that don't like having complete control over every aspect of a battle system. But honestly, it really simplifies a lot of turns. And you're mostly making the big decisions and figuring out strategy. Um, so I don't. did you play the original at all? Uh, of Monster Hunter stories. Stories? No, no. Okay, so kind of the idea behind it is it has like a rock paper scissors system where there's. It's a Pokemon. Yeah, but yeah, there's like <laughs> power attacks, technical attacks, and speed attacks, and they all one counters the other, etc. Um. So a lot of the battle system is figuring out, like, okay, what types of attacks is this monster going to use? And, you know, a lot of the bosses will change up their patterns in the middle of a fight, so you have to figure that out. And they've added on to that, as in you can now equip and switch between three different weapons, which can be, like, what is it, piercing, slashing, and I'm just going to call it bashing. And certain monsters will be weak or strong against those types of weapons. So that's another element to it. Um, but yeah, since you're generally mostly just picking the action of like your main character and sometimes maybe picking what skill your monster is using, it really helps keep moving battles moving along. And it's, it's pretty fun. And it's definitely really, looks really good. Uh, and I think at least early on the original got pretty easy but this one uh, I guess can get a bit harder as you go and you know I've already had some tough battles so uh, but yeah I, yeah I enjoy it quite a lot so far that's good that's good 
game it is it is also a like it seems to be like a direct sequel of the original which i didn't completely finish so it seems like you may be like a descendant of the character from the original game although they only refer to it as a he which is interesting but i guess since all the dialogue in this is spoken now uh, they probably didn't want to have to record two different versions of all the lines referring to the the protagonist's grandparent. So it's a little bit of a shame, but understandable. Yeah. Okay, she's really good. Runs fine on Switch, although there is a Steam version if performance is um, important to you when you're turn based RPGs. And my turn based JRPG. Yeah. Some people are just built different. They'll yeah. die if they don't get that for some reason. I don't understand it. Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't change the game on my stream. Whoopsies. Says Monster Under Stories Wings of Ruin. Yeah, it's updated now, but I did not update it when we first switched over. Oh, on your stream. I was looking at your. Yeah. Oops. Oh, you're playing the weirdest game of Apex anyone's ever saw. Uh, um, total pro streamer over here. Get so a bot, I, you bot. Thank you, Hollywood. <laughs> so I looked up uh, like how often mostly Victory Gundam has appeared in Super Bot Wars. And uh, it was it first appeared in 1995 in the in the updated version of Super Two. Then, uh, in the preceding 25 years, it has managed to appear five more times if we count the mobile game. Hmm. If we don't count the mobile one of the mobile games, then it's appeared four more times. Uh, in in Super Robot Wars, Super Robot Wars Alpha, Super Robot Wars Alpha Gaiden, Super Robot Wars D. It's one of the GBA games, uh, which should tell you how long it's been since there was actually <laughs> three cops in one of these. Mm -hmm. Is that 2002? That sounds like a, probably about the right time. Let's check. Let's check. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Okay, this fan wiki has that get wrong. Let me check. When Wikipedia thinks super Actually, I could check this probably from uh, something much more reasonable. Let's see. A. R. Okay, 2003. We got Super Robot Wars D. Uh, so, that, uh, a, a baby born the last time that Super Robot, uh, that Mobile Suit Victory got to appear in the mainline Super Robot Wars game, uh, would be an adult now that it's reappearing in Super Robot Wars. <laughs> Jeez, okay. This, this means something to me. And like eleven other English-speaking robot nerds. 
And kind of no one else, but at least at least we're getting it. So. Good old robots. Yeah. Super robots even. But yeah, so Super Robot Wars 30, that's, uh, that's been dominating a lot of my brain space. Uh, otherwise, I've had a lot of like, other shit to take up my time. But it's not really podcast shit, so. Mm -hmm. But I did finish Mega Man Network Transmission. I need to play Battle Network. Oh, but you finished ne is Network Transmission? That's the terrible game. Right. That is the GameCube interval between Battle Network 1 and 2 that is a weird misguided attempt to hybridize Battle Network's RPG mechanics and uh, classic style Mega Man into a mishmash that doesn't really work. Uh, like you still you still have like the deck building concept, but you're it's replaced like classic style Mega Man's like boss weapons, and that's not. And like the thing is that when you pull out, uh, like imagine your. Uh, how, do, how do I describe this? Uh. So in, in regular Battle Network, when you uh, use a uh, what, like you're you have this meter that fills up, and you draw a hand of chips basically when you choose to when it's full and you choose to activate it. Uh, and the, those chips allow you to. Uh, like you get, like by default, you get five of them, and you can take as many as you want and uh, put back as many as you want. Uh, the ones that you take and use get shuffled to the bottom of essentially your deck, uh, and the ones that you uh, leave behind can be retrieved the next time. That's kind of the overriding way that it seems to work. Uh, network transmission still kind of has that system, except that the ones you use don't get uh, shuffled to the bottom of your deck. Also, it's much worse when you're playing a platformer. Yeah. And you just desperately want something useful to get rid of. The, like, it takes a full real-life minute for that gauge to fill up in network transmission. Yeah, that game sucks. So... <laughs> It's it's not good. It's not very good. The frustrating thing is that when you get to the last like third of the game, when you finally upgraded your like Buster so that it's not not useless, because like you do get Buster upgrades that eventually make it so that it does damage comparable to battleships. Suddenly the game becomes kind of playable. It never becomes great, but there are like things about it that's like. This works. I can see why you were trying to do this. If the buster wasn't useless or if the chip system wasn't mangled, it would be kind of a playable game. 
uh, as it stands, unless you're going to cheat the hell out of it, it's kind of not worth playing. Uh, I do think it's very interesting that near as I can tell, it's the only appearance of the equivalent of zero in the Mega Man Battle Network timeline. Hmm. Like, there is a zero.exe in that game, and he never reappears again. That's weird. Uh, yeah. And it's like, oh, that's an, that's weird for a multitude of reasons, especially for a character as popular as Zero. But, yeah, this, this doesn't reappear. Uh, it's, a, it's a very strange, messy game. I could see how a sequel might have fixed it if they had rethought the chip system or just made your buster stronger by default, but never happened. Uh... I do appreciate the brass balls of making a GameCube game that, upon rolling credits, tells you to be continued in and then gives you the title of a Game Boy Advance game. <laughs> and even more the chutzpah to actually say, uh, to, to, be advertising a Game Boy Advance game that came out a full year before this GameCube game. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my god. Truly really incredible. Fuck? But I finished it. Uh, there are definitely parts of it that made me absolutely furious. It's not terribly worth playing. I don't fully regret playing it, but I'm broken in the head. <laughs> but now I can move on to Mega Man Battle Network 2. Sweet. And two and three, two, three, and six seem to be the ones people like the most. So that should be fun, right? Probably, right? I mean, based on the uh, some of the one step from Eden I've been playing, it's got a solid foundation for a battle system. Yeah, no, good battle system. Uh, they've made, from what I can tell, some huge mechanical changes from. Battle Network one that will probably make the game uh it will probably make things interesting. Uh not to say the Battle Network one wasn't interesting, but like they sound like mostly improvements. Uh for one you can keep folders of chips, so it's like you can swap between essentially decks. Uh for another uh this. You can basically swap between decks, uh, which, you know, that's nice. Uh, you don't automatically heal between fights anymore like you did in Battle Network 1. There's now, like, nice. actually more management to do with how uh, to keep your health up, so that should keep things interesting. Uh, just, just generally, a lot of expansion seems to have gone on. So. I'm happy. It seems it seems like it'll be fun. Uh, Good. Super Maybe. fighting computer program, Mega Man. I guess. Maybe we'll eventually get the collection. Yeah, they've teased it. It seems like an inevitability, especially because they're running out of series to do collections of. Did original X Zero and Zex 
I guess the real question is, do they bother including for for uh, Star Force? Or you say no, Rockman? Yeah, you should. Because that would that they should, but that would make the collection much larger than essentially any of the prior collections. Yeah, and those games are probably more different. Well, I guess they they ported. They have a DS emulating yeah. emulation. It wouldn't be an impossible technical challenge, but yeah, start, like I feel like they should because otherwise those games will be just completely lost to time. Yeah, but I mean they've they've chosen not to acknowledge games in the past for to some degree because I mean, or Mega Man and Base is just lost in the wilderness as it should be. Uh, Screw that. Game. I don't even hate Mega Man and Base. You should. Uh, but I don't. I recommend not playing the GBA version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's where I'm at. I'm just starting Battle Network 2, essentially, while we do this podcast. Nice. Oh, oh sorry. But, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that's been that's been a time time and a half plus benefits nice wait no. <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, so that's that's where this is and I move back to back on to RPGs I get to I get to find out how Lord Wiley managed to survive in an unlikely fashion Uh, I recall at the end of the first game, uh, he was standing in the middle of a lair that was purportedly exploding. So. Oh, lovely. Uh, also, I found out that apparently the, <laughs> the organization that is forever abbreviated as WWW, which I've been calling W3 or 3W, uh, apparently officially its name is World Three, World Three. Yeah, I don't know why it's called that. That's terrible. It's yeah, very terrible. Uh, yeah, so that's that's been fun. Uh, it allows me an excuse to talk about the horrible Mega Man journey I'm taking during podcast and not nice. giving too bad when I'm just talking about non-RPGs. Alright, keep talking about that for a minute. I need to go run and grab a snack. Okay. I need some sugar. Understood. Uh, um, yeah, I some wheels doing, but I'm just going to pull some Battle Network 2, which I just started. Uh, ah, yeah, they, they reused, like, as was always. Mega Man games, they seem to be aggressively reusing assets. I mean, the sprites seem to be good, I don't like Oh, god. Okay, yeah, there's, the, the game has like a get you back at this thing. Like every time. Oh, there's subjects. You have nothing. Thanks, Mega Man. And, yep, your stats are all the way back to the beginning of Battle Network 1 with no explanation. Let's talk about that. 
Uh, I starting with. Uh, yeah, you start out with folded one. Cannon, 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 cannon. Chuck and chuck and chuck and chuck down. Uh, chuck and chuck and chuck. B gun, B gun, B gun. Mini bomb, mini bomb. Recover gun, recover. Uh, recover, recover. Uh, sword, 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 wide sword. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Uh, thankfully, none of the weapons are useless as some of the ones that you would get at the start of battle. So, that's Mmm. Dark chocolate cookie. Mm. Uh, I don't have those. For this one, episode brought to you by No More Heroes. It's now available on your Nintendo Switch. And PC. For some reason. Is it? Oh, also, why is it brought to you by No More Heroes? Oh. Because I had the soundtrack sitting right here. Uh, jealous. Let's see. Uh, yeah, no. They... What? Oh, I was going to say, this podcast is also brought to you by Bowser Jr. Because I have the Amiibo sitting over here. Do you have a Bowser Jr. Amiibo? I got it with, um, whatchamahoosit? Um, the Switch version of 3D World. Oh, yeah, I didn't get around to that. I need to get that so we can play together. Whatever. Uh, Throw each other off cliffs. Say what? Throw each other off cliffs in that game. Oh, if you do that, I will I will immediately disconnect. That is going to wind up looking stupid. Uh, so I'm looking at it. Yeah, No More Heroes is on PC as of June 9th. Uh, the much funnier thing is that it's apparently on Amazon Luna, something I, I I would never have guessed, because I never heard of anyone using Amazon Luna. Like, it wasn't even enough of a disaster like Stadia to get people to talk about how badly it's going. Like, people just don't seem to be aware it exists. I didn't even realize uh, it was active. Yeah, apparently. Uh, oh yeah, I did have to talk about something. Apparently, that does that does make me sad if it ends up being. Uh, did you hear the buzz about Lost Judgment? No. So. Uh, was it something to do with the dub or something else? No, no. I talked about the dub thing last week, I think. Okay. But, uh, basically, so the protagonist of Judgment is, like, his voice and likeness are based off of, uh, I, mean, I want to make sure I get his name right. Uh... Yeah, a Japanese a Japanese actor, singer, like general like personality named uh, Takuya Takuya Kimi, and uh, Kimura is uh, like is was seems to remain a very popular uh, general like acting presence within Japan. 
He is managed by a talent agency that is insane. Hmm. And, like, to, to some extent, that's talent agencies, just in general, and especially Japanese talent agencies. Like, there's a lot of weird ones. He is managed by a talent agency that has extraordinary control over how his likeness is. How to describe this? Sounds bad. Uh, like, the, I, I'm trying to describe the degree of control here, and the best way I can put it is there are essentially, there are very few pictures of this man on the internet because of how they specifically control his likeness. Hmm. They do not like computers. They do not trust them. I mean, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> But their solution to that is to attempt to shun them as much as is humanly possible. Okay, that's probably not good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, trying to, to fucking, like... I, I, I'm trying to pull up, like, an image of this. It wouldn't help the audience. But basically... Uh, there are, like, images of, like, this, this, the promotional appearances this man made where he has just, like, been photoshopped with just, like, a gray, like, silhouette over him. Because of how much that they're just like, no, you do not use his likeness in this fashion. And it's, like, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Apparently, uh, Sega wants to make PC versions of like, Judgment and all their future, like, Yakuza games. And this talent agency does not like this idea. Oh, boy. And so there may not be more Judgment games after Lost Judgment unless some sort of uh, agreement is reached about how to oh, fix this impasse. Because... Uh, yeah, it's weird. Um, it's hard to say what'll happen. Uh, Kimura seems to really like this role, but you know, very controlling talent agency. Uh, he seems to have like come up as part like he he has been with this agency for like twenty years. He seems to have come up. Uh with this agency known as Johnny and Associates <laughs> uh, as part of a boy band. Um, uh, I believe called Map. Yeah, go ahead and try to figure out uh, where that name came from. You won't be able to mm -hmm. manage it. But... Yeah, uh, so he's been with this agency for forever, and he's gotten certain allowances in the past that they wouldn't typically allow their other talent, but it's it's hard to say whether his, his desire to continue playing this role of, uh, of Yagami from Judgment, he seems to really like this. By all accounts, he's really into it. Uh, but, you know, 
big companies are always bullheaded, so... I guess we'll have to see. I would be very sad to see uh, Judgment end or for them to have to recast this character, because I think he's actually really good in that role. Uh, his actual performance in Judgment is really good, and I'm very interested in seeing where that character goes in Lost Judgment. And so... Uh, here's to hoping that Sega and Johnny and Associates uh, and Kimura can all find some way to square this away so that they can keep making Judgment games. Otherwise, uh, probably in a few years we will see uh, another Yakuza spinoff come out that is uh, action-based and uh, has... <laughs> Some other actor or like famous personality atta uh, license attached to it. Uh, if the Judgment team is suddenly uh, not making Judgment games, depending upon what happens, guess we'll see. But yeah, here's to happen. Yep. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so yeah, that seems to be on a roll. I'd hate to see anything mess that up right now. Yeah. And I mean, they're trying to continue that role, but it's just really, it's, it's, it's a lot. Uh, but yeah, the, as, as far as I can tell, if I were to try to read between the lines and figure out what the actual core of this dispute is, uh, I believe it is the capacity to mod PC games and the capacity to rip models out of them that would be most likely to cause uh, that to be causing the friction in this dispute and it would also explain why when judgment was re-released uh for ps5 and series x it also came out on stadia hmm. but not steam okay that's and weird. stadia you don't have access to the game files you cannot uh you cannot manipulate anything about... You can't, like, rip out the model of Yagami's, like, likeness. And so you can't use that model for things that they would... Uh, that the talent agency would be uh, averse to. And that's why that Stadia version happened and that Steam version didn't. Hmm. But yeah, uh, I guess we'll see. It seems like at some point they thought that they were going to be able to work this out because there's references to a Steam version in various parts of the HTML for Lost Judgment. Uh, its website and shit. But I guess we'll see if that... I guess we have to find out if that deal fell through in some capacity or... If those negotiations are ongoing, we might never know. We might just figure this out by the time when, like, it's been five years and there's never been a judgment for weeks. Sorry, this this crowds out my mind. This is what I care about. It's the it's okay. But, yeah. Um... So yeah, uh, Mega Man and Yakuza, that's, that's been my brain. Uh, what have you Mega been up to? Uh, 
Is there is there any uh is there anything you care to bring to the table? Uh, I feel like there is, but my brain is not working. Uh, any other news of any sort this week? Uh, oh, Zelda comes out on Friday. Yeah, I can't afford that, but I sure wish I could. Uh, I need to buy all these games that I haven't played before. I plan on playing that that's... on stream with the Joy-Con controls. Yeah, which are probably the better. Wait, do you, by Joy-Con controls, I assume you mean motion Joy-Con Yes. Yeah. yeah, those are probably the better ones. You get full camera rotation now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I hope people will give that game a second chance because it's underrated. Um, yeah, highly. Uh, my sister's in the chat asking, where is R- Ratha in this game? Because her username is Ratha. Oh, I figured that one out. <laughs> Uh, well, that's that's for anyone listening to the recording. Yeah, I think. Um, I assume you get it pretty soon because I've already got a Ratha egg in the storyline, so you must get it early on in the game. I mean, it was in all the freaking trailers, so. Ratha Loaster Hunter. Oh my god. <laughs> what? Ratha Loast. What? What did you just say? <laughs> Rathaloster Hunter. Oh my god. You have to live with that. Yeah, I do. Oh god, I'm gonna get wiped right here. I'm down to one heart. Uh, so do we have questions? Uh, nothing new. Nothing new at all? Yeah, it was a little late. Uh, as, as, far as, right. as far as I can tell. Berserk yeah. uh, yeah. Alucard commented on a discussion we had had about uh, Hero Saga Levitine tactics. Got it back in the day at a local game store that had lots of imports. Never came out in PAL regions, so I have a US copy. But unfortunately, it's never even come floating. Uh, but unfortunately, it's never been even close to coming out of the backlog. You guys are right, there isn't much online about it at all. Certainly not in English. Doesn't seem like there's much about it in Japanese. It seems to have been forgotten by essentially everyone, possibly up to and including the people that made it. Uh, and. Yeah, Gaijin uh, brought up that no one has, uh, that it doesn't even seem to appear in anyone's used DS stock in Japan. Wow. So, I'm sure it's somewhere, but he hasn't run into it, so. Yeah, uh, that game's mysterious now. Uh, it might be a cryptid of some fashion. <laughs> Which game are we talking about? Uh, oh, hey. Uh, hey! I was talking about... Uh, Lavatine Chron- uh, Chronicle, Lavatine Tactics, Hero Saga. Oh, I used I had a copy of that game at one point and thought it was terrible and got rid of it. So I probably yeah, should have no, held I'm on to that. It might be, I'm <laughs> just saying it might be encrypted now because it just like seems to be falling out of collective memory in a strange fashion. That's yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah like I, usually I, the internet I, has I someone who and have been able to find it yet. Yeah, so. that's what I was bringing right, up that there wasn't any in the stores near you. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I've only checked my two regular stores, and there's others around. Yeah, so, of course. There's always others around. You... Yeah. I mean, not as many as there used to be. I mean, there were... Yeah. There used to be five on Hamilton Bypass. There's only two now. <laughs> I mean, one was a book off. It got closed, or it closed and turned into an internet cafe. And another one, just I guess they didn't like, or the location got too expensive, so it's now a Nissan dealership. Oh. And the third one did not survive the earthquake five years ago. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Well, hey, Gaijin. We uh, had just started, gotten through mostly just going over the news. So tell us what you've been playing. I'm still just playing Grandia 2. Nice. How's that been going? Um, pretty, pretty well. I've been amusing myself by saying how much of a plot outline I can type down that would apply to both Grandias. Interesting. It's like, okay, so it, start, so it starts off at the first in Grandia 1 and sometime past in Grandia 2 with a young man leaving, off, leaving for adventure and he meets a young lady with a mysterious potential magic. And then there's also the scrappy, young, very young-looking third character. And they come up to a, a, like, bizarrely impossible barrier that splits the world into east and west. And then there's big, burly uh, beast, got, beast man who speaks like a warrior poet who joins them. And then after a festival in which the main character and the young lady have to pretend to be love interests and realize it's a little too natural, um, then the younger third character decides that they have to stay at home from that point onward. And then they all get in a boat and to cross the ocean to the next major plot area. And they get washed up on a coral reef full of monsters and helps them realize their feelings for each other. And that's about as far as you can get before it starts to wildly diverge on the basics. Yeah. Like you're, that's a good like 12 hours into the game. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does require some uh, straining to make it work, but yes, not as much as you would think. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, have you and gotten Taruyudo's backstory yet? I can't remember. Yes, actually, that was about the point where it was impossible to really continue. Uh, yeah, it becomes utterly irreconcilable around that point. A, yeah, a village that was uh, cursed in the past. Yeah. That's about as close as you can get to it, and it really doesn't fit very well for the two sides. I yeah. Mean, it's not as bad as the time I managed to reduce Highlander and um, Revolutionary Girl Utena to a single sentence. That's uh, <laughs> that's quite a choice you made. <laughs> it's it's about a bunch of people running around with swords and a, um, attempting to divest each other, either um, figuratively or literally, of a particular body part. Um, in or in competition for a vague, poorly explained higher power. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's technically true. Mm. That got me a near death threat from a classmate in college. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he didn't mean it, but he's like, seriously, dude, no. <laughs> well. uh, yeah. Whereas the diff whereas the difference here is that one of them has a queen soundtrack and one of them has a. Uh... A lot of very strange symbolism. Yeah, I mean, Utena could have really rocked with a uh, with a sound uh, Queen soundtrack. That's true. It's true. At the same time, like every so often, I still remember fucking Zetai Unmei Mokushiroku. So, 
<laughs> it didn't. Uh, it didn't completely do badly on its own merits. Yeah. Yeah. Kashira, Kashira. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's but see. yeah. Uh, How in the world does that game go for so much? Which one? Well, uh, no, I was just looking for stuff. I, fa I found Levitine for uh, about 4,000 yen on Amazon, which is Jesus. almost Jeez. certainly too much to begin with. But no, right above it on the customers who viewed also viewed section, yeah. we had Kimi no Yusha hmm. with a listed price of 34,000 yen. Uh, uh, First of all, the game was crap. Massively crap. I, I, I assume crap. it's extremely rare crap. I can't imagine. I guess uh, so. I mean, over here we got Destiny Links for seven thousand. New, but eighteen hmm. used to new from sixteen hundred. Okay, that sounds much better. Kimino Yusha ten used to new from twelve thousand. That's still ridiculous. Yeah, like that's already starting at like what the hell? <laughs> yeah, and then Glory of Hercules. Um, for the DS, four thousand new. Okay. Thirty-seven used to new from five hundred seventy-five. I'm pretty sure I paid two hundred yen for it. So, yeah, a lot of these do not reflect actual in-store um, used prices at all. Yeah, I mean that's that's the internet for you. But, I mean, Amazon's usually better about that, but it's still 7,000 for Destiny Link's new. That game was not bad, but it wasn't that good. Uh... Rizzo'd. 7,500. Sure. Why not? Yeah, why not? Um... So, I mean, if I ever really, really wanted, I could get it, but I don't feel like it. Um, you don't want it that bad. <laughs> yeah. Only one left in stock. Order soon. No. Okay. Maybe but soon. Perhaps. You have to order soon or it's going to be gone. Boo-hoo. I mean, yeah, if I actually find it in a store around here, I might pick it up just out of curiosity and to see who's on the make maker's list, but no. I am not that... And what's um, already not that curious. So, oh, are we recording? By the way. Yes. yes. Okay. I did not know if we had started yet. Yes. Speaking of recording, we had some comments in the chat. Um, mm -hmm. P was asking about Final Fantasy VII remake. If he was near the end, He's saying maybe you remember this, Dave. He says he is. Just had Tifa jump across all those lights. Don't remember where in the Shinra building that part is. Oh, um, you've still got a few hours left. Yeah, that's what I thought. Hmm. Also, he says uh, he loves how adorable Aerith is in this game, and everyone in that game oh, yeah. is awesome. Yeah, no, they they really did right by every character. Mm-hmm. Um. That's 
it. I think we can start hitting some of these questions. I'll try to keep some of these brief because at least one of them is uh, uh, essentially aimed only at me. Uh, <laughs> it's question 113. What is the most magical normal thing that you enjoy in Yakuza? Uh, it depends upon what magical what term like what magical means in this context so forgive me if this is wrong correct me if i'm wrong. um this magical normal thing you um i i assume that's more just like when the games start getting really weird but it might also just refer to like something that is very interesting despite being mundane but I'll go with when it's being really weird. And honestly, it's, it might actually be the utterly, like, weird VR gambling cafe in Judgment. Either that or, like, Ichiban's, like, entire worldview being shaped by Dragon Quest. <laughs> to the point where the start of the game is someone pointing, is someone asking if he's a masochist because... Every time he punches someone, he waits for them to punch him back. <laughs> and he's just like, no, that's how the hero is in Dragon Quest. You know, you fight them, and then they get a chance to hit you back. That's how heroes fight. And that's oh. just not brought, it's just not elaborated upon further. <laughs> uh. Oh, there was actually a, a great little uh, thing on uh, the localization producer. Uh, Scott Strickard's letter that I wanted to bring up because he was talking about uh, one of the things that they did in localization. Oh yeah, and he's also been uh, tweeting with the JRPG July uh, hashtag because he's been playing Dragon Quest 3 it looks like. No wait, this is Dragon Quest 1 he just finished it looks like. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, so in one of the conversations that shows up between characters in Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, in Japanese, uh, you ha there's a bit where he's talking about uh, the spell of restoration that was used as the password system in Dragon Quest on the Famicom. But Dragon Warrior had a battery save uh so like they had but they had to localize that so instead he talks about uh let's see yeah like he's just talking about they're talking he's talking about things he like learned about from game uh and instead of talking about like keeping track of spell of restoration he's talking about how like uh the Dragon Lord kill uh, offers to roll uh, to let you roll half the world, but then kills you instead. Uh, as like something something that, about how video games taught him. <laughs> and it's just like that's that's an important uh, uh, that's why having localizers knowledgeable of many other games franchises things that may be referenced. Uh, in other words, they got a good localization team. Yeah, very much so. Uh, uh, 
but yeah, just uh, very, very, very good. Uh, and also, even more amusingly, uh, what reference he's making, uh, there are actually like two scripts for Yakuza Like a Dragon in terms of translation. There is the dub script, which is more localized, and there's the subscript, which is more uh, specific to the Japanese version. So if you are playing with the dub, he will talk about the Dragon Lord, but if you are playing with the sub, he will talk about the Spell of Restoration. <laughs> okay. So, they, they went all out with that game's localization. It's pretty incredible. Uh, but yeah. Uh, in terms of other, like, actually, like, legitimately magical things, just... The concept, the the infamous one, and it's still kind of a reigning champion, is the recurrence of business management chickens. Mm -hmm. Because in Yakuza Zero, they they had like the business management mini game. Like one of the jokes was that you could get a chicken named Nugget, and your character would not have the heart to eat it. So instead, it became a manager of your properties in the business minigame. <laughs> in, uh, and so Nugget, as that thing was dubbed in the English uh, version, just keeps reappearing in some strange form or another to the point where uh, you can have a chicken in the business management minigame uh in in fact, by default, you have the chicken in the business management minigame in Yakuza Like a Dragon. And <laughs> for some, like, because of the way the minigame is structured in that one, that means that you can have a chicken answering questions at a business, like, stockholder meeting. <laughs> like, you will get the, like, this chicken, like, can just cluck at people to get them to stop asking questions. And it's beautiful. Absolutely, wonderfully ridiculous in that way that Yakuza is. Uh, very much Yakuza, I've, I've mentioned before, is a franchise that would not work nearly so well if at any point it acted like it, like if at any point it treated anything that was happening as silly. Everyone has to respond with stony seriousness most of the time. If it winked at the player about how silly it was being, it would not be anywhere near as funny. So you're saying that if they ever actually did an American-style version of the series, it'd have to be starring Tommy Lee Jones? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Someone who will just ride out every ridiculous thing and treat it with stony seriousness. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's one that some of us might have answers for. Your favorite trivias about Japanese game creators. I just happened to know that the creator of, uh, like, as an example, uh, Fireminer says, I just happened to know that the creator of Barapa the Rapper used to be in the band that sang one of the openings for City Hunter. I believe that is City Hunter opening three. Uh, for those unaware... Parappa the Rapper was uh, directed by a guy named Masaya Matsuda, who was part of a band called Size. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
They 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 did a lot of things, I believe. But uh, yeah, one of the things that they would be known for is doing one of the openings of uh, classic late '80s, early '90s anime, City Hunter. I will be right back. I'm not sure yeah, how much of an well, enduring legacy City Hunter has, although I know it just had a fairly recent movie. Well, we're talking about strange interconnections. Yeah. Uh, this is one that I found out just uh, a couple weeks ago because the uh, the Twitter account for um, Onion Games uh, just mm-hmm. put it up as an interesting Father's Day factoid. Yeah. But... Um, the man who pl- who voiced the father on Tanari no Totoro, My Neighbor Totoro, the Japanese. Yeah. Actor. Oh, that's Itoi. Yes, it is. Better known for outside Japan for his work on Earthbound. Yep. He was he was he was like the head game designer on Earthbound. <laughs> yep. Writer, lead designer, like he he is Earthbound. He He's is the mother. Actually. Games. If you check the Wikipedia for Mother, he's listed as the creator. Yeah. Like, he approached yeah. Nintendo about making a game. And they initially, like, kind of turned halfway turned him down, basically, because they were somewhat convinced that uh, he would have them make a game and then put his name on it. <laughs> and it took, a while, it took a while of convincing for them to be persuaded that, no, he was going to come into the office and actually make a video game and not just expect them to make one for him. Yeah. He's like, here we go. Mother, director, game designer, and writer. Earthbound, producer, director, writer, concept of Saturn font, sampling voice. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah, he is, uh, when you, like, uh, when you're selecting your name... Uh, I believe when it asks for confirmation, you'll hear a like sample of just okay, just go. and it's it's Itoi. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually remember the Saturn, Mr. Saturn font, the uh, Japanese version was based on I think his daughter's handwriting in the kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, so he like his his heart and soul is all over the mother games, which is why. Uh, any request for Nintendo to make a mother for is just profoundly misguided. Yeah. Let's see. And see, he worked with Nintendo to, z- to design video game themed Haramaki. <laughs> wow, that is... So Okay, so for the audience, Haramaki are Japanese belly bands. Um, they're yeah. just like cloth that you wear around your belly to, um, to, keep, um, to keep warm. Uh, most of my younger daughter's pajamas have built-in haramaki to go over, to go way up high to keep her central body warm. Mm. Yeah. If you if you know what these if you know that these have a name, you will start noticing them when you see them in Japanese media. Yeah. And he's the president of the Japanese um, Japan Monopoly Association. Yeah, he's 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 an everything. He does everything. Yeah. Wow. And apparently, <laughs> apparently his version, his video game versions of Monopoly for the Super Famicom were part roleplay game. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, it also explains why he was. Uh, a, well, that's one of like his handful of video game credits, like Mother Monopoly, Earthbound, and Shigesato Itoi's bat, number one bass fishing. Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. an interesting connection in there. Um, yeah. Let's see, for music, um, there's this one musician, um, guitarist I follow on YouTube and Twitter named yeah, Desuke yeah. Minzawa, who, mm -hmm. he did one video game soundtrack and it was really beautiful for a really weird game. Do tell. I mean, Nightmare Project Yakata. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. But yeah, he's still active. He, um, I mean, he disappears for a while at times, and then he comes back. He posts new videos, and it's mm. really nice. Yeah, I'm trying to like pull up anything that I have that's uh, of actual note. Like, there's a lot of uh, tangential stuff that I could bring up. That's like, oh, that's that's mildly interesting. Like uh, the. Theater of Katamari Damashi, like, kind of split his time for at least some period between uh, writing, uh, like, making games and, uh, like, making playground equipment, which kind of makes perfect sense. But, uh, like, that was, that was, like, what he did after Katamari for a brief period. Uh, Keita Takahashi. Um... You'll find a lot of these, like, people that started out doing something else uh, in the, especially the early game industry, just because, I mean, like, there there wasn't another career they could have been, uh, the game design was not an old enough discipline at the time for it to have been their entire career. Uh, but, yeah. Oh, th here's, here's one that's uh, not Japanese, but Japan-related. Uh-huh. Uh, let me see if I want to double check this to make sure that I don't speak. Uh, I, I want to make sure that I never speak like active falsehood. But okay, so uh, I believe I may have brought this one up at some stage. But uh, he, the free, one of the co-creators of Wizardry, also co-founded uh, the. Uh, anime, U.S. anime licensing company, uh, Animago, which I believe still exists in some fashion. I believe we have talked about this one, and it's like when when he was trying to get licenses for shows in Japan, he went over and um, started talking to people, and he got recognized for his work with Wizardry. Yeah, and which probably a opened a lot of doors. Deal on licensing, like four thousand yeah. yen for something, um, <laughs> like a ridiculously good deal because. The studio execs were fans of his work. <laughs> Something like that. It was uh, crazy. Well, that's the kind of thing that'll open up doors for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Robert Woodhead, for those uh, curious about finding out more about this man and his very strange life. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe he was actually instrumental to something that... Uh, okay, yeah, I think so. <laughs> this is very, very funny to me. Uh, there's a, let's see, uh, there was, uh, so there was a, a bit of a cult classic, uh, 
OVA uh, from the late 80s called Project Echo. Yeah, uh, Project Echo. Yeah. So the the masters, the film negative masters for that were lost for a very long time. Oh. And a, comp a company in the U.S. Uh, called Discotech licensed it. They wanted to give it a Blu-ray release, but there wasn't really like Blu-ray quality masters to make of it. Uh, so they were they were doing all sorts of like wild experiments to try to uh, like get as much detail out of the existing prints as possible. Uh, mm -hmm. But apparently, it was Robert Woodhead himself who realized that there was a clerical error surrounding where Project Echo's masters had been stored. <laughs> And so he was the one that found the creator of Wizardry is the reason that this cult classic OVA is getting like a pristine like 4K print uh, like master being made of it in 2021. But yeah, very, very funny to me. Uh, uh, yeah, I just found the tweet they made about it where they were talking about uh yeah, a regular customer of the vault noticed the error and realized that it was likely preventing Project Echo from being found. They tipped us off. That customer's name was Robert Woodhead. Yes, that Robert Robert Woodhead. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> but yeah, uh, if you, if you care about weird old anime, uh, definitely uh, keep track of Discotech because they they bring over a lot of things that uh, otherwise that that. Otherwise would be lost and or uh, would be forgotten to time, except that they keep reappearing in things like Super Rip Hop Wars. Oh, did you hear it? Um, it was a Super Robot Wars is going for a Guinness World Record for most number of licensed franchises in a single series. Yeah, yeah. It's either already gotten that or is going uh, or is about to be recognized. Yeah. There was actually, we, t we discussed some Super Robot Wars news earlier before you got to the podcast, in part because uh, I'm obsessed with it, but basically, uh, for the first time, one of the licensed games is actually seeing an official North American release. I'm kind of curious how they manage that, considering the licensing nightmare. Yeah. So, like, in Japan, I, I didn't go into this too much, because only Wheels was there to hear it, but... Uh, in Japan, the I, I was looking at who actually owns the licenses to most of these series in Japan, and like a good seventy percent of the series are licensed from Samurai. Uh, yeah, that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, whereas in North America, I think they're split across about three or four different licenses. Licensors. Uh, the ones I could name off the top of my head are Combatler V is in there, and that's licensed by Discotech. Uh, I believe Right Stuff has the uh, like master license for Gundam in the U.S. at the state, uh, which clears up a lot of it because like half the series in any given Super Robot Wars is Gundam. Uh, yeah, uh, and I know that there's at least one or two other people with their uh, with their fingers in that pie, but it seems like. Almost everyone who has licensed any of these series has uh, has the uh, right temperament slash disposition to play ball. 
so no. and that helps a lot I mean, yeah it's like looking at something like pro like the um, namco cross capcom super crossover series yeah yeah the right. you look at that and you're like how in the world did they ever get that to work yeah and it's like well as long as only a couple of parties uh are involved and none of them are malignant towards each other uh i mean but the way you're describing it, i think project crosszone had a crazier combination of copyrights to deal with yeah let's so. see that had namco capcom sega and nintendo i think at least but yeah, those, those companies like those companies have all shown that they are more than willing to work together, which is probably the only reason that I was able to happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh. And we're we're all we're all lucky that some company that didn't license something like Brave Police J Decker twenty years ago and then sit on it for for the rest of time. Yeah, you know, there's some some localization companies in America that would try that. Yeah, let's not talk Gold. about Harmony Gold. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, more Japanese game creative trivia. I'm trying to think of uh, any others that would be of worth to discuss. Well, might come back to this one. Uh, discuss, curse, one or the other. <laughs> but yeah, uh... Yeah, um, might might come back to like favorite bits of old Japanese uh, game trivia. Um, here's one that you might be better equipped to answer, but I would imagine that this piece of information is difficult to track down at the best of times. Hmm. Do we have any idea what is the first Japanese game based off of an anime or manga? Um. the first Japanese game based off of an anime or manga. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Let's... Okay, history of Japanese video games. I mean, it'd have to be like Atari. Yeah, I don't know what kind of traction that had in Japan, but, like, surely it's one of the homegrown, like, weird old video game systems at the very least. Yeah, let's see. Um... Let's see. We've got the old arcade games. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to tell here, but... I'm seeing Taito made a loop on the third game in 1980, which was definitely among the earliest. That's got to be the... But that's, I mean, that's going to be about the earliest we can verify right now. Third yeah. generation... Um, do we got a list of... No, we don't have a list of games. Oh, there we go. A milestone titles. thing is, I mean, a lot of these early ones had the, um, anime based on them, too. Yeah. It was the hip new thing. Yeah. Um, okay, you know what? I'm going to take this the other way around. Um... Let's go for some of the oldest video uh, oldest manga series I can think of and go backwards. Um, Jeff. 
Japanese not sure if there's even much consensus about what the first U.S. licensed game is, although it might be Star Trek Phaser Strike. Let's see. Let's see. Astro Boy Video Games. Okay, oh, never that mind. Makes first, sense. First, first Astro Boy Video Game was in 88. Okay, that, it doesn't surprise me too much because that was probably a license that was difficult to get hold of. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. How about Kitaro? 86. Yeah, there's a few Kitaro games on Famicom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what's something else that, that that's that old that would lend itself to a video game? Uh, probably not here, but let's try this. Yeah, no, there's no Sazice on video game. Okay. Um... <laughs> I mean, I'm having, I'm trying a blank on which series would be old enough to make this work. Yeah, because like it has to be at the very least, uh, based on what we already have, it would have to be something that was at least predates 1980. Uh, yeah, there's there's three Anpanman games for the Famicom. Yeah, but those a Famicom game would have to by default be at least from date past 1980s. Yeah, mid 80s probably. Yeah. I'm surprised there are like way. 42 video games released for Anpan Man. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. No, it does not. What surprises me is that one of them actually got released in, outside of Japan. Huh. Am, Anpan Man Ego to Nakayoshi ni Tanoshi Carnival. Okay. Hmm. Anpa, uh, yeah, Anpan Man Nikonikapari. One of these got uh, outside Japan release. Weird. Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking Lupin the Third um, from 1980 would probably be the earliest we can verify. Yeah. Before that, you're going to be getting into things that are primarily arcade games. It gets really hard to trace the history of 70s arcade games. Yeah. Yeah, um, so. The earliest Hello Kitty of video games were from 1992 for Famicom. Man, I got on that train late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So weird. Okay. But yeah, so, uh, yes, the... The probable answer is 1980. Yeah, that that seems to be it, and it seems to be Taito's Lupin the Third. Yeah. Nineteen nineties um, people were surprised by how fast demand uh, grew for JRPGs in the West. Uh, were people surprised by how fast demand for JRPGs grew in the West, or was it something that had been foretold since the earliest days of Super Nintendo? I mean, people had been trying to make JRPGs as popular in America as they were in Japan for quite a while, which is why Nintendo kept, like, devoting, like, entire issues of Nintendo Power, which was a giant ad, to, like, here's the RPG that you have to play. Yeah. You don't get a Nintendo Power this month. You get a, it's a player's guide for Final Fantasy 1. That's all it is. <laughs> so, I think that, like... 
they were going to make a demand for JRPGs just because there were so many and they like were so popular in Japan that it was like, well, it it makes things harder for us if there is no demand for this in one region when there's huge demand for it in another. Yeah. Considering how many RPGs didn't make it out of Japan even then. Yeah. Yeah. It does remind ridiculous. me of Nintendo Nintendo had like real ambitions for the JRPG genre, which is why part of why uh they kept hammering at these like uh to the point where like I seem to recall uh Earthbound was something that they honestly thought might end up being like a huge hit eventually, like eventually a million seller, and it didn't. It didn't do near that. Uh, part right, of why they were cult hit status, though. Oh yeah, yeah, but yeah, like, but you know, they they wanted to get people in on that, so it gets like the huge box treatment. It comes with a player's guide, and it looks like it, it's treated as important. Yeah. Uh, they. And then, of course, like, the thing that finally did it was, holy shit, look at these CG. But... Yeah. Or, like, the... The fact that they tried to sell Magical Vacation for Game Boy Advance when Magical Vacation never got localized. Yeah, they they previewed that for... Like, they, they highlighted that for American journalists as something that was, like, potentially coming, and that just never happened. It's a bit of a shame. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things. Like I, I feel like just because it was such a huge genre in Japan, like it was such a large amount of every company's output, it was inevitable that it had to break through at some stage because it's too it, there was just too much of them to ignore. Uh, Um, yeah, I, th I think that that's about as much as we have to say about this. Uh, More than I expected to say at first. <laughs> but, uh, this, this one, I don't know how much the rest of us care about this, but I, I kind of do. Uh, with Valis getting a reboot, what other PC Engine RPG would you like to have a sequel slash reboot? My choice is the Zack games. Man, Zack, that's a... Ah, uh, you you went for one of the weirder ones. Uh, I, I'm not sure... I wouldn't really call Valis an RPG. It's like, it has... It was... Anime fans loved it, which means people think of it in the same series, uh, the same sense as RPGs, but... Like, Valis, in terms of gameplay, aside from, like, maybe SD Valis... Uh, was SD Valis a... RPG? I think SD Valis is an RPG. Maybe. Um, I'm double-checking that. Mm. Uh, no, no. Apparently it was, uh, it was uh, the last Valis game with SD characters. Uh, I'm th I was thinking of... I, I must have gotten it completed with SD Snatcher, which is an RPG for some reason. Uh, I'm back. But yeah, what I miss? Oh, hey. 
Uh, you messed mm. us trying to determine the earliest anime licensed uh, video game. What is it? Uh, or could you not determine it? In yeah, we concluded that, that it was probably Taito's 1980 arcade game, Lupin the Third. That makes sense. I, I did just find one that's potentially almost that early, but not quite. Hmm. The, the very first Doraemon video game. Oh, of course it'd be Doraemon. <laughs> yeah, I can't actually find a release date for it, or genre, or publisher. It's just listed on the wiki. The platform was Arcadia 2001. Oh, man, that's obscure. Which I had to Google just now, and it was a second-generation 8-bit home video game console. Yeah, sort released of Released in 1982. Yeah, sort of a... And, and discontinued a year and a half later. Total of 35 games released, which means Doraemon first video game had to be in 1982 or 1983. Yeah. So Not that's quite as that's our second oldest known um, licensed video game in Japan. Yeah. And after that, I cannot find, cannot think of any other series old enough and broadly popular enough to have a video game at that point. Mm-hmm. As I've checked all the other alternatives, and none of them go before 1986. Yeah. Let's see. Um... But yeah, uh, as for the the PC Engine RPG, I would like to see get a reboot or a sequel. Please, just an official release of any of the Tengai Machio games. Mm. Yeah. Those so games... If you're going to do that, make sure it's Manjimaru DS version. So yeah, that makes sense. The better one. Or, I mean, we'll settle for the PSP collection. That's three games right there. Yeah, yeah. Was that? I assume that was one, two, and Kabukidan. Yes, and Kabukidan. Yeah, because Namida was a PS2 game, and Fourth Apocalypse yep. was released separately in PSP. Yeah, and um, what else? Hey, Linda Cube was P- was. Would it be was indeed a PC Engine game. I mean, granted, I'd prefer to see a remake of the Sega Saturn game with the fourth scenario. But, yeah. Yeah. We're saying that it originated then, so it counts. Yeah. But not the Alnum games. No. Put your foot down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Was was it first really? Was it initially a PC Engine game? I'm making sure that it wasn't originally a Japanese PC game, which would make sense as well. Uh, Linda Cube, but it appears to have started on PC Engine CD. Yeah, it did. And the uh, the cha- the difference in graphics between the PC Engine and the PS version were quite different, quite surprising. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My my heart will always call out for Tenkai Machio just because it's such an important series in Japan. Uh, and such a yeah. bizarre one. Like it, it was, it was the best-selling PC Engine game. It's, it was very important. And there just, there's no official English presence outside of a fighting game spin-off, uh, Far East of Eden Kabuki Clash. Mm-hmm. 
It was it was it was the franchise for uh, NEC and Hudson as far as they were concerned, which is why one of the first PS one of the biggest PCFX games is a horrible FMV fighting game based that spin that spun off of Manjimaru. Uh, what is that called? It's very strange. Kabuki Clash? Uh, no, no. Kabuki Clash is like a Neo Geo, like, action fight. Uh, Tengai Makyo, uh, Karakuru, uh, Kabuto then, looks like. Hmm? Which one? Uh, Kabuto Den? Uh, uh, no, no, not Kabuki Den. Uh, it's like Karakuru, uh, Kabuto Den, looks like. Karakuru Kabuto? Yeah. Kabuto then. Not, not, not uh, Karakuri? Kar yeah, because Karakuri is the Japanese word for clockwork. Yeah. Or clockwork dolls. That one's uh, extraordinarily strange, though. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Tengai Makyo, they're all some bizarre. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, oh, and then there's there's also just the weirdness of uh, Kari, uh, Tengai Makyo 3 like being in some sort of weird development for 10 years. <laughs> Uh, it was supposed to be like the big PCFX game was uh, Tengai Makio 3 Namida, and then it was cancelled, and then it like re emerged on PS2 in 2005. Mm -hmm. And After by all accounts, it was extremely disappointing. Game. Yeah. And that's why there hasn't been a Tengai Makio 5. <laughs> Alas. Yeah, they've remade uh, one and two a number of times, and we've just never gotten them. Let's see. Yeah, there's like PS2 version of uh, Manjimaru, there's the DS version. Uh, I can tell you the DS version is the one that costs the most in the used game stores. <laughs> I would imagine that it probably shares a lot of. It probably looks a lot more like the, uh, like the, the Turbo version than the PS2 version does. Uh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Apparently, the PS2 version has horrible loading times. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone like part of the problem is also just that no, there's very little. Uh, appetite to translate untranslated uh, PC Engine games because, like, very few people in the US had one, so people typically don't care that much. But, yeah, yeah, uh, but hey, Tengai Makio Zero, and like, all of the, the weirdest thing is that, like, all the spin offs have more groundswell for, like, English releases. I believe there's a translation patch for Tengai Makio Zero, and there's one for GBA sort of spin-off Oriental Blue. 
Yeah. I'd like one day to see a translation patch for the uh, DS. Uh, DS thing they might get to. That's, that seems like the most likely one to get a translation. Yeah. So, just it's got the most accessible hardware still. So. Yeah. Um, question 118. Uh, 118, there's that many? If it's like 130. Yeah. Oh my god. That's We're actually wonderful. reaching the end. No! Yeah. <laughs> no! Your miner has uh, several times threatened that he has more of them to come. So yes, give, I'm not too give. concerned. I'm excited he's, to see what we get. He's been us for literally a year now. Yeah, no, it's been impressive. Uh, do you think there used to be a difference in design philosophy of American and Japanese box art with former treating games like products and latter treating them like Art. I've got this idea while looking at the red box arts. I think it's more just that they had different ideas of what their audiences would buy. <laughs> yeah. I know sometimes it gets really weird because it seems like a lot of um, sometimes some um, like in the American advertising they insist on putting all the main characters on the front of the box no matter how <laughs> bad it looks. Yeah, because it's like a movie poster because they assume that's what will sell. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And so, and then they make decisions like, okay, we need to make this character look more rugged or more angry, which is I mean, the classic one. Mm -hmm. Like the uh, Fire or Kirby. Kirby. Yeah. Oh, man. Those, but, I uh, the... thinking, yeah. okay. but I was also thinking, like, the difference between the um, cover art, um, yeah, the box cover art for Romancing Saga in Japanese and in English. Mm -hmm. Where they're just wildly different designs because the American version had to have all, all main characters crowding the front. Yeah, Japanese one just has a very nice uh, artwork by Tomomi Kobayashi of the Bard. Yeah, yeah. it's really it's nice. one of those things. Like, I think it, it has more to do with what they assume will sell to the audience. But, um, I mean, looking at the original uh, box art for the Super Famicom version of. Uh, Romancing Saga. It's not like there was no precedent for just crowding everyone into a group shot. Um, yeah, it just probably a better composite group shot, but yeah, yeah, it's one of those situations. Like the the, it's just like the philosophy, and like the you'll get real bad box arts uh, from that. Uh, there's a. I, I will never stop bringing up how bad the American Yakuza 3 box art of just, like, a constipated-looking CG head is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, but you're people, also more people, likely to get some really bizarre artistic box art in Japan. Yeah, you'll get some weirdly abstract box art in Japan. That, like, can, um, that, can, that can work better or worse, depending. Yeah, I remember the first Oreshka game oh, yeah. um, for PlayStation. The cover was actually a very grumpy, kind of angry-looking baby. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very grumpy baby. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. I mean, considering the focus of the game was incredibly generational and short-lived characters. Uh, it makes sense. It makes sense. 
but, but I mean, it is just also looking at the cover, strange. you would never think it was a, a book about or a game about samurai. Yeah, there was a period where uh, the assumption among at least some people doing box art in America was that the box art needed to be weird to grab the eye. And that's why you get things with box arts like Super Busted Move on PS2. <laughs> which is a, a baby wearing a CG baby wearing sunglasses blowing a spittle bubble that's a, a yeah. Busted Move bubble. And like in the sunglasses are screens from Super Busted Move. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It's extremely bad box art, but it's also extremely funny to me. Uh, but then you'll you'll get some uh, like to a, to a certain extent, Square especially was also always uh, prone to very strange minimalist box art for their key player franchises because like that's why for, for Japan most of the, America they didn't yeah I, that's what well. I mean for Japan yeah because uh, like you get uh, the Final Fantasy covers which are infamously just a logo. Yeah. And often a crystal design and something cool on it in Japanese. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, in the U.S., it's usually, like, the protagonist or a cast shot. It makes a degree of sense, just by virtue of being... They're mostly character-focused games, but yeah. Uh, trying to find some of, some of the other ones uh, that... Like would stick out to me as like places where this might. Uh, yeah, looking at Biohazard one, box art appears to be a freaky eyeball. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, spooky, uh, spooky horror poster, basically. Whereas the American original box art. Uh, is basically Chris Redfield brandishing a shotgun and looking extremely pissed off, <laughs> but also surrounded by monsters. Yeah, Ugh, that long box version's not good. They uh, they made some choices about trying to make it harder uh, so that people couldn't finish it in a rental, and that made it really obnoxiously hard. Uh. They almost actually immediately cratered the franchise in the U.S. by making... Uh, there was a period where the... Part of the ways they were going to make Resident Evil harder in the U.S. was they were going to make it so that... Uh, the item boxes weren't linked. So if you deposited an item somewhere, you would have to go back there to pick it back up. Oh, dear. And... Bad. Uh, that would mean, like, that would just increase the backtracking in the game tenfold. Uh, and apparently someone in testing basically managed to convince them, this this will not make the game harder, it will make people just not want to play it, and they will, it will just poison the game's reputation in the US. <laughs> so, Cooler Heads prevailed, and Resident Evil did not end up becoming a dead franchise, a dead letter in the US, but... Uh... Uh, what a what a franchise. Um, but yeah, uh, in general, I think that there is more of an assumption that you can get a Japanese consumer to pick up a slightly more uh, abstract or artistic box. And so, but like I, I would say that 
my assumption would be never that the uh, that it was like an artistic statement so much as it was like what we think will sell. If they didn't think it would sell, it would suddenly stop being in book. Mm -hmm. uh, get through 120 at least, so I can just put out all the all the uh, Wonder Boy questions. Put them oh, all. Oh God! Uh, how influential to Wonder Boy questions? I wonder how these oh, questions yeah. will go. Uh, how influential? Uh, to RPGs, do you think the Wonder Boy franchise is not terribly influential at all? Uh, certainly, like, it had some interesting uh, uh, RPG hybridizations. I don't think that... Like, the games were popular-ish? Popular-ish. I mean, they got, got re-released on Switch this past year. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a cult franchise, but bearing in mind also that 90% of the Wonder Boy games were exclusive to Sega consoles before the Saturn in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, they, like, that was not a recipe for being a hugely influential franchise at the time. <laughs> so I would say that they are very important as early examples of, like, hybridizing platformers and RPGs but I don't know that I would assume they were successful. Uh, to the to the point where, like, the, the connection I could see attempting to... I could see bringing up is, like, to these later, like, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. But Igarashi has actually talked about what the Genesis of Symphony of the Night was, and it was neither Wonder Boy nor Metroid. It was turning Metroid... It was turning Zelda sideways. Like, that was his inspiration, <laughs> his idea uh, guiding uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, let's see. Wonder Boy and Monsterland versus Zelda 2. Which one comes out on top? Wonder Boy and Monsterland. Uh, Wheels will probably vote for that by default because he hates Zelda 2. That's yeah, true. Yeah, uh, Zelda 2 had some interesting ideas and no, a lot of good implementation. Yeah. And I guess we can hit 121 since it's technically a related question. Uh, let's see. Um, same question above, but with Zelda 1 versus East 1. I would rather play East 1. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I mean, Zelda 1 was probably the more influential game overall. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but. Yeah, so if we're talking about influence, it's definitely lasting influence, I would say, Zelda 1. Uh, certainly, uh, at the time, if you go looking, there are a lot of games that play like East, but there's a lot of games, but that's also because East was heavily influenced by uh, games like Hydelight. So, what yeah. you gonna do? Uh, but yeah, uh, whereas Zelda's influence is uh, ongoing and strong to this day. But yeah, and then and then the next set of questions are all related and they're about all the games. So uh Yeah, um I think that's about all the questions that we have unless we want to keep moving, but I kinda of wanted to save at least a few for next week so that 
Fireminer has time to listen to us uh, call out that, hey, you got another, if your next batch of questions is still relevant and ready, uh, send them along. <laughs> because uh, we'll probably run out sometime in the next week or two. <laughs> And we had nothing right. in the Discord, right? Nothing in the Discord other than making uh, other than questions about your audio balancing. Yeah, that's yeah. an endless process. Endless frontier. Yes. Um, yeah, bring it back to Super Robot Wars, I see. <laughs> Wait, you want to talk about Super Robot Wars again? Why? No, you said endless <laughs> frontier. Isn't that a Super Robot? I was trying to spare you. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Endless Frontier, of course. Yes. Also a super expensive Mine, DS game destroyed. now. Yeah, the Super Crossover series. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that series, like, yeah, Endless Frontier is one of those, like, late DS games that absolutely did not even come close to recouping its money, which is why we didn't get Endless Frontier to see it this way, I don't believe. Yeah. games in the series so yeah yeah it's just a weird thing where you have five games in a series with three different names <laughs> yeah see. don't worry if you uh if you wanted to see the continuing adventures of hawk and browning from endless frontier he reappeared in super robot wars uh original generation the moon dwellers hmm Yeah, uh, it's quite a multiverse to keep track of. Uh, Intentionally, it's just mm. it's bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's about the closest thing I would ever come to describe being a Japanese version of like Marvel or DC style storytelling. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's about it. Oh, I do want to bring up one of my favorite like tragic comic uh, stories about Super Robot Wars. Uh, and, like, some of the weirdness that came about because of it. Uh, when the series was first starting to get voice acting, uh, they reached a point... Uh, let see if I can work out... I need to double-check which... Uh, I I want to say that... So, so basically, they, they reached a point where it was, like, it was the mid-'90s, but some of the shows that they were getting voices for from the mid-70s, and some of those people uh, did not dis had not done a lot of voice work since, to the point where one of them had disappeared off the map. They spent a long time trying to find out where he had gone. Huh. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it was the protagonist of Voltes Five. And this is Japan, where if you have a job for a particular voice character, you keep that character no matter where it appears. Yeah, which is why they spent forever tracking this man down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's even like, if you have... Um, you will have specific voice actors who will dub very specific American actors and actresses in movies. Yeah, it's like, well, this uh, you are the dub voice of this human. <laughs> yes, and it's like, a any movie that has Bruce Willis in it will have the exact same voice actor for Bruce Willis in every single role. 
Yeah. That, like that. Okay, yeah, I looked it up to double check. Uh, Yukinaga Shiraishi is the voice for the uh, protagonist of Voltes V. He basically never voiced anything else, and I believe uh, from everything I've heard, he ba they basically found him like working in a diner. <laughs> like it took a while to find him, and he was just like he had just fallen off. But they mm. they did get hold of him and did have him do new voice work for uh, Voltes V's appearances in Super Robot Wars some twenty years on. What's the other? Uh, Oh yeah, that does remind me of like uh, I watched Ashtonojo last year, and uh, looking it up Which and like uh, Ashtonojo. Oh, Ashtonojo. Okay. Yeah, and like the the voice actor for Joe, like he kept coming back, but he was he did not really do any other anime. Like that was not really like that was basically his only major anime role. Like most of the time, I think he was like a stage actor. Mm-hmm. Very, it was very interesting to find out. Yeah. Ashtono Joe is great for anyone who hasn't uh, ever seen it. Uh, hopefully someday it will be all officially localized. But, uh, one of my, my all-time... Uh, became one of my all-time favorite anime just by watching it, so... Well, recently, uh, my daughters have been watching the uh, the Japanese uh, Stitch anime. Oh yeah, that's just called Stitch. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it doesn't have the English dub available on Disney mm -hmm. over here. It's just the Japanese one, so we're um, we're letting them practice their Japanese comprehension on it. Mm -hmm. And my wife is just pointing out, oh, that this character, his voiceover. Is like uh, this character from Anpan Man, <laughs> or this lady, or this girl, that girl, her voice actor is Satoshi from Pokemon. <laughs> like, okay, cool. For those unaware, Satoshi is Ash's Japanese name. Yeah. Yeah, that does remind me of like the weird like life that Stitch the character has taken on in Disney's like East Asian. Uh, like expansion because like the the Stitch anime was succeeded by a Chinese cartoon. Uh, so was... if you want to get meta, if you want to get meta later in the Japanese series, yeah, the um, Stitch and his new best friend go on a vacation to Disney or Tokyo Disney. Of course. Yes. Wearing the Mickey Mouse hats all the way through. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tr truly a truly a weird like life that it's taken on uh, over in East Asia just by virtue of uh, like the <laughs> just like the way that they've marketed Stitch the character in increasingly like specific uh fashions in japan and china well that and the character angel 
from the first TV series. I think she literally appears in two episodes of the original series, and she is a major returning character, or recurring character in everything Yeah, else. I believe that's the other weird thing, is that I think they're all technically in continuity with each other, which means that we've got... They like, are. It just, yeah, so they just, like, slowly have accreted this very strange multinational continuity. Yep. Like I think I, I haven't actually seen this episode, but apparently there's an episode of the Japanese series that helps explain why um, why Stitch ended up leaving his friends in Hawaii. That makes sense. Some bit of a misunderstanding, a bit of everyone else just growing up and moving on. So, uh, so but mostly misunderstanding. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it being that Stitch is emotionally still around eight years old <laughs> a mercurial creature at all times yeah yeah well now that we're talking about uh lilo and stitch cannon i think it's time that we put this to bed Sounds uh, good. Uh, yeah. hey i hear you got a proof copy of something yeah i did i got it on tuesday finally nice yeah so it's it's a nice chunky little book. It's I've, I've got pictures on Twitter if you saw those. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. You satisfied with the proof copy? Yeah, well, except that it came uh, dog-eared. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. yeah and odd. Got packaging. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, for those who, who are just tuning in now, though. So yes, so um, I've got the ebook in um, pre-ordering until August first when it's officially released. I'm going to be timing the um, opening for the pa uh, paperback at the same time. Makes sense. They won't let me actually do pre-orders for paperbacks. That's weird. Sure yeah, I it just it didn't have the option available uh, this time. Uh, Obnoxious. Yeah. Oh well, but yeah. So I mean, it helps the ebook is yeah. significantly cheaper. Well, I guess I'll put it this way: uh, the audience that listens to our podcast is used to uh, waiting and paying more for physical. So <laughs> true enough, true enough. But yeah, so yes, the ebook is available for pre-order. It's six ninety-nine, which is amazing. Um, I mean, one dollar less than the print cost of the paperback. <laughs> Not coincidental there. Um, <laughs> Uh, the paperback is, I think, I think I put it down for seventeen ninety nine total, just because mm. it's, yeah. I mean, it's you have to make something off of it. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a nice. I mean, it's not the. I mean, if you ever read Wheel of Time or Game of Thrones, you've read thicker, chunkier books. But it's, um, yeah, it's, good sized tome. It's, <laughs> it's it's a good fifty percent larger than the next book in the series. But yeah, and for those for those new, that that series is Princesses of the Pizza. Oh yeah, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available on Amazon, Amazon Kindle Unlimited, and it's basically me role playing a bunch of kids role playing a not exactly D and D or Pathfinder game, but definitely close enough. <laughs> close enough and yet different enough to be legally non actionable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hooray for open gaming license. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
uh, and those are there are uh, many many shorter ebooks available in addition to this yeah. new chunkier volume. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, that's the thing. The first nine episodes and two side quests are all epi- uh, like episodes. Like each one's a different um, week of the game mm-hmm. or game session, per, one per week. And this one is seven days of summer camp. <laughs> so that this one could not be broken down into smaller episodes. Uh, not what not while being satisfying. <laughs> no, I mean oh, I mean, yeah, it would take forever to start it up and take it down again, each one. Yeah. So. But yeah, so that's yeah. that's available. Uh, you can find it by searching for author Michael Yarimizu. Y a r i m i z u. Uh, and as for our other plugs, uh, Wheels continues to suffer from a combination of uh, technical hiccups slash computer hatred and hyperdimension Neptunia every Sunday uh, around midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific. Uh, mm-hmm. Wheels currently appears to be dead to the world, so I'll do the plugging for that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Come on, watch, watch suffering. Uh, well, not really that much suffering, except for the fact that Wheels absolutely just getting wrecked every single week. Uh, Harsh. Uh, Prove me wrong, Wheels. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can also watch me on my Twitch channel, um, yeah. playing various often non-RPGs when I'm not streaming. That channel is called Twitch.tv/AskWheels. Yes. Um, Play some Apex Legends, occasionally Fortnite, and various other things. A lot there. of battle royale shooters that Wheels approximately one year ago swore that he hated with every fiber of his being. That's not important. <laughs> um, and uh, eventually getting back to Resident Evil 7. Yeah, you owe me that, baby. It's true. You gotta get to Resident Evil 8, because that, game, that game's... Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, it looks uh, smaller. But, and yeah. I'll I'll start I'll keep sending you the panel fan, or Resident Evil Eight Village isn't that scary puppet videos. <laughs> it's important. Is this, uh, I mean I, I I later discovered that those things actually had an English subtitle version. Oh my God. It's, it's just it's just very silly. And again, uh, they're even they're even funnier when you have actually seen enough Japanese children's morning television to realize what they are referencing. Aside from Resident <laughs> Evil 8. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and for our last plug, I'll just point out that we love questions. Thank you again to Firemine for all these questions. But if you want to if you want to uh, fuel this podcast with things that are not me shouting about Yakuza and Super Robot Wars, now is your chance. Uh, you can send questions to the comments section of this very episode on rpgamer.com, or you can send them to the Discord, uh, which uh, is a lovely community that you can find by going to rpgamer and clicking on the community button where you will find an invite link to the Discord. Uh, as for the other... Uh, oh yeah, I guess I should also point out we'd like to stream these recordings. They tend to happen on uh, American Wednesday nights. Yes. Uh, usually around 
uh, starting from around 8.30 uh, Pacific, 11.30 Eastern, and then moving on until Wheels has just died of exhaustion. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, otherwise... Oh, oh um, Lord. Pew says you have... Bad a, rolls. No, Pew says you have another scary game coming your way, too. Payment huh. for FF7 Remake. Oh, God. A mystery game. Fuck. Well, are you going to open it? Are you going to leave the listeners in suspense? Well, I don't have it yet. <laughs> well, you'll have to tell well, the listeners. What is, what is it? I don't know. The box. Oh, it's a mystery. I don't have the box. <laughs> oh, never mind. Sorry. Well, listeners, you'll have to listen in next week to get the thrilling answer to what that was. I well, see. I made, I made the mistake of telling Pew my rule that I'm honor bound to play any free game people send me. I can't believe you're being sent Mugen Soul Z. No, shut up, shut up, or someone's going to send me that goddamn fucking game. <laughs> hey, I still get the special box, probably. Oh no! Wheels <laughs> might actually prefer I'm that game. You couldn't understand what it was because the international shipping rules have gotten so anal to the point that it's—I have yet to actually get them to handle it correctly. Oh. Yeah. I would like to say that I think Wheels would actually prefer that game if he couldn't tell what it was saying. So that's that's <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so, you know, listen in on, uh, if you've got a spare Wednesday evening that you want to spend listening to uh, one jackass and two normal people drawing. Um, but yeah, otherwise, see you, Space Cowboy. See you. Yeah. All right.